Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Premium Brands Holdings Corporation first quarter 2021 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To require further assistance, please press star 0. Our speakers today will be George Paleologo, CEO and President of Premium Brands, and Will Kaludic, CFO of Premium Brands. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today. George Paleologo, please go ahead. Thank you, Cheryl, and good morning, everyone. I would like to welcome you to our 2021 first quarter conference call. Hopefully, you had a chance to attend our AGM presentation yesterday. In case you didn't, you can find the presentation deck on our website. We are now on uh, slide four of the presentation. Our CFO, Will Kaludic, and I will walk you through our Q1 results as reported this morning. We're now on page five, on slide five. Uh, our key messages this quarter are that we're making excellent progress with all platforms. We delivered record Q1 results despite ongoing COVID-19 related challenges, including supply chain disruptions, logistical issues, and of course, commodity inflation. Demand for our products remains very strong, particularly in the U.S., driven by economy reopenings and the return of out-of-home dining. April sales were very strong across all platforms. For the first time in our history, our U.S.-based sales in our specialty foods division exceeded our Canadian sales. Clearwater delivered an excellent first quarter with a 940 basis point margin improvement driven by ecosystem coordination synergies and strong price realization. Um, our acquisition activity remains robust. We expect to complete uh, many transactions over the course of the year. And our PB seafood platform, including Clearwater, is beginning to take shape as the only vertically integrated seafood entity in North America with unique comp competitive advantages, leveraging best-in-class assets, excellent management teams, and featuring ocean-to-plate related attributes like premium quality, sustainability, and traceability, combined with excellent social and environmental stewardship. I will now pass it to our CFO, Will Kaludic, for the financial portion of the presentation. Will? Thanks, George. 
Before I begin, I would like to remind you that some of the statements made on today's call may constitute forward-looking information and our future results may differ materially from what we discuss. Please refer to our 2020 MD&A and other information on our website for a broader description of the risk factors that it can, in fact, affect the company's performance. Uh, now turning to our sales on slide seven. Our sales for the quarter were 1,009,800 million, up 74.8 million or 8% from 2019. The key drivers of our growth were organic volume growth of roughly 79 million, uh, driven by the continued solid progress we are making in all of our core categories, including meat snacks, charcuterie, cooked meats, artisan sandwiches, and seafood. The next major driver of our growth were acquisitions, which accounted for about 59 million of our increased sales. And then finally, selling and price inflation of roughly $16.6 million. Uh, when looking at the selling price inflation between our specialty food segment and our premium foods distribution segment, most of the inflation came from our premium food distribution segment, which has very dynamic pricing and was able to address the inflationary environment we are in uh, very quickly. Our, our specialty food segment had about $6.5 million of uh, selling price inflation, roughly half of that being cost plus related, um, cost plus contracts with certain customers, and the other half being selling price increases put through to deal with price inflation from late in 2020. Offsetting these these positive drivers of our sales growth were three key challenges. The first by far and most significant was COVID-related factors, which was a headwind of about $46 million in our sales. I'll talk a bit more about that on a later slide. Next was the stronger Canadian dollar. Our average translation rate for our U.S.-based businesses for the first quarter of this year was one26 versus 1.35 in the first quarter of last year. And then finally, we had some labor-related uh, lost sales due to our certain sandwich plants ramping up for customer demand and, and having some issues getting labor uh, to ramp up for that demand. Uh, those problems have now since been resolved, but they were an issue in the first quarter. Um, normalizing for COVID, our sales would have been 1,055.6 million, or roughly a 13% increase from last year. Turning to slide eight, talking about our organic growth rates, uh, the solid line on this slide is our actual organic volume growth rate, and the dotted line is our organic volume growth rate normalized for COVID. Um, you know, the key message of this slide is really how much COVID has been hiding the success of our, our businesses in growing their, their, their sales. Um, if you look at the last six quarters and you strip out the impacts of COVID, you can see that our businesses have been growing at high single digits, low double digits. So good solid traction gaining there. Uh, driven largely by you know, our product categories all being on trend and the investments we've made in capacity over the last several years. Uh, turning to slide nine uh, and looking at the impact of the pandemic on our sales, 
You can see for the quarter, the impact was $45.8 million. Um, oddly, in the first quarter of 2020, uh, the pandemic actually had a positive impact on our overall sales. Our, our specialty food sales were up about $16 million. And then this was offset by some food service impacts in our premium food distribution group for a net impact of $6.6 million. Once normalizing for that, the impact in the first quarter of this year was roughly $39 million. Um, you can see that the breakout of the, the impact, most of it was in the food service segment, $34 million in food service, $9 million relating to airlines, uh, $2.6 million to cruise lines, and retail was roughly flat, again, because of the bump we saw in the first quarter of 2020. You know, looking forward, we are cautiously optimistic that once the economy starts reopening, that we should see a, a quick recovery in our food service. And we base that on a couple of considerations. One is what we're seeing in the U.S. and Chinese economies with the reopenings there and the, the strong demand in the food service channel resulting from that. But also, interestingly, we saw early in the first quarter some, some decent demand in our food service channel um, starting to form as, as you know, there's some normalization in the environment. However, with the, the increase in infection rates in Canada and the increased lockdowns associated with those, we quickly saw that trend reverse. Uh, turning to the next slide, our weekly sales trend. Uh, really, the only point to illustrate here is we're starting Q2 very strongly. Uh, Q1 was a, a good quarter. It is our seasonally slowest quarter, and, and it, you, you can't read too much into it. As we go into Q2 and, and start seeing some of the seasonal demand kick in, uh, we're very excited about what we're seeing at this point. Uh, next slide, turning over to EBITDA. Our EBITDA for the quarter was $82.5 million, an increase of $18.2 million, or 28.3% from 2020. The major drivers of this were acquisitions, and, and particularly the Clearwater acquisition, which generated about $9.5 million of investment income, and sales growth, which uh, was a, a major also contributor to our EBITDA growth. And then finally, production efficiencies. Uh, we continue to see great, great um, strides being made in our specialty foods group across various plants. Uh, other factors positively impacting the, our EBITDA, but in a much more uh, insignificant way, was COVID from a cost perspective overall had a uh, slightly positive impact as negative costs in our plants associated with additional PPE and production efficiencies were offset by savings in marketing and travel and uh, a small amount of government subsidies. From a commodities exposure perspective, it was slightly positive overall. Um, we, we saw in our premium foods distribution group some margin expansion. Uh, given the inflationary environment, there their ability, their dynamic pricing models, and some decent inventory positions and forward buys, they were able to take advantage of that to get some margin expansion. But that was largely offset by margin contraction in our specialty food segment as that inflationary environment hit them 
and in many of these businesses there's a 30 to 90 day notice period for getting selling prices through with their larger retail customers. Um, most, if not all, of our specialty food businesses now are in the process of putting through price increases to deal with these. So we're cautiously optimistic to, to some degree we will mitigate the impacts of this inflationary environment going forward. Uh, the neg negative factors impacting our EBITDA for the quarter, we continue to invest in infrastructure to support our growth, both from the perspective of plants as well as SG&A. And then we saw uh, wage inflation, albeit um, we're starting to lap some of the numbers from last year, some of the increases put through last year, so not as material as last year, but still a factor in the quarter. Discretionary compensation was up, and then finally the stronger Canadian dollar continued to impact our EBITDA as well, the, the translation of our U.S. dollars, as I talked about earlier in our sales. If you normalize our EBITDA for the impact of COVID, which overall for the quarter was about $9.7 million. That consisted of about $11 million of negative impact from the, the sales lost, offset by about $1.3 million in net COVID-related savings, as I discussed earlier. Um, normalizing for that, our EBITDA is $92.2 million, or an increase of uh, roughly $28 million, or 43%, as compared to 2019. Our margin for the quarter was 8.2%, which was a nice improvement over the, the last few years. And then normalizing for COVID, it would have been 8.7%. Um, turning over to the next slide, talking a little bit about the inflationary environment. We are, we are seeing inflation across all sorts of elements of our business. Um, clearly most commodities that we buy as inputs, pork, beef, chicken, turkey, uh, certain species of seafood, um, corrugated, as, and, and then other parts of our, our raw materials, such as corrugated materials, packaging, and um, uh, several other elements that we use in our manufacturing. This, this slide highlights two key commodities, um, a pork index and a beef index, and you can see the significant amount of inflation happening in these. As I mentioned earlier, our businesses are putting through selling price to increases to deal with these, these inflationary prices, uh, pressures. Uh, turning to our earnings on slide 13, earnings for the quarter were $32.3 million, an increase of $11.2 million, or 53%, and this is despite COVID. Uh, the key driver of that was our EBITDA, which was about $18.2 million, as I discussed earlier. And then offsetting that were some increased taxes and some increased depreciation associated with acquisitions and recent capital expenditures. Uh, normalizing for COVID, which had a net of tax impact on us of about $7.3 million, our, EBITDA, our, sorry, our adjusted earnings for the quarter were $39.6 million, an increase of $18.5 million, or roughly 57%. In terms, of, in terms of earnings per share, uh, our, our number for the quarter was $0.72 cents a share, up $0.19 cents a share from 2019, or roughly 35-36%. Normalizing for COVID, our earnings per share would have been up to uh, would have been up $0.91 cents per share for the quarter, or up $0.38 cents per share, or 72%. 
You'll notice the percent increases in our EPS relative to our earnings was a bit lower, and this is really a function of the equity issuances we did in 2020. A lot of that capital was still sitting on our balance sheet and not yet put to work, which you'll see in a later slide, and so we do expect as that capital starts to generate returns, uh, continuing improvement in our EPS relative to our earnings overall. Turning to slide 14, uh, talking a little bit about our Clearwater acquisition, the most significant in our history. Uh, we acquired a 50% interest in them. Uh, very strong start, as George mentioned earlier. Um, top line was relatively flat, flat slight downly about $6.4 million, and largely due to some Brexit-related challenge for their Scotland operations a lot of which have been dealt with and, and is in the rearview mirror. And then also the stronger Canadian dollar is a good portion of their sales are in U.S. currencies. Um, also, uh, interestingly, their sales were lower because of some of the, the, the discipline they were able to um, take in the selling of their products given their stronger balance sheet. So more product went into inventory this quarter than in past quarters in the expectation that it will be sold later in the year at higher margins when those products, for seasonal reasons, uh, there's a, a much more significant demand for them. Um, offsetting those negatives on the sales was, was China and the reopening there. We saw some good demand, particularly in clams and live lobsters. Um, in terms of EBITDA, very strong performance by the company, uh, up $7.8 million to $20.1 million, driven by four key factors, uh, operations, great efficiencies, both from continuous improvement, but also very high-quality catches that uh, allowed for very efficient processing, uh, was a, a big driver of the results. Uh, stronger margins in China, the U.S., in food service as those economies reopen, and some improved demand in retail in Europe helped with uh, the general pricing environment across a, a range of species. And then, uh, most interestingly, uh, the uh, next two big drivers of the improvement in their margins were their synergies with our ecosystem. One was, as I mentioned earlier, um, them taking a much more disciplined approach in what they're selling, not being afraid to put product into inventory, and as a result, what they did sold was sold at higher margins. And then also leveraging the, the knowledge and distribution within premium brands to, to maximize their margins. So overall, uh, a, a really solid start with Clearwater and a great improvement in their EBITDA, well ahead of expectations for the quarter. Um, if you look at the statement on the left-hand side of the slide, you'll see down below highlighted in gold some, some uh, large costs. These were the acquisition costs and closing fee paid to premium brands. These were purely one-time costs associated with the transaction and, and will not be reoccurring. Um, turning over to slide 15, cap, talking a bit about capital allocation. Uh, during the quarter, we allocated uh, $721 million of capital, $637 million of that for acquisitions, uh, $67.2 million for major capital projects, and $16.5 million to our REIT as part of a sale and leaseback transaction on certain properties held by the company.
In terms of actual dollars spent in the quarter, we spent uh, $682 million, putting to work some of that capital that I mentioned earlier that was sitting on our balance sheet at the end of 2020. Again, acquisitions being the big number, $637 million. Uh, large capital projects, we spent roughly $17.1 million. On smaller capital projects, $11 million, and then $16.5 million on the REIT, as I mentioned. Uh, looking forward, subsequent to the quarter, we've announced a, a, another new capital project, um, an expansion of our Buddy Sandwich plant, uh, roughly uh, in Canadian dollars, a $15 million project. Um, again, as we've talked many times in the past about, you know, our base expectations around any capital we invest is a minimum 15% internal rate of return based on after-tax unlevered and generally on a, a 10-year-plus uh, cash flow model. So again, these are long-term value drivers that will continue to, to help us uh, create value at premium brands. Turning to slide 16 and looking at our balance sheet, at the end of the quarter, despite the capital allocations I mentioned earlier, we continued with a very strong balance sheet. We had about $405 million of unused credit capacity at the end of the quarter. Our senior debt TBDA ratio was 2.5 to 1, which is at the very bottom of our long-term targeted range of 2.5 to 1 to 3.0 to 1. And our total debt TBDA ratio was 3.8 to 1, uh, nicely below our long-term targeted range of 4.0 to 1 to 5.1, or sorry, 4.5 to 1. Um, and, and I should mention, the only difference between our senior and our total debt EBITDA ratios are our convertible debentures. Um, one, looking forward, we did complete the sale and leaseback transaction in the quarter. It closed on the fr last Friday of the quarter. Unfortunately, the funding didn't flow until the following week. As a result, the net proceeds of the sale and leaseback of roughly $152 million was sitting as a receivable on our balance sheet. When you normalize our, our financial position for that cash flow, you know, that would increase our unused credit capacity to $550 million, clearly positioning us well to continue to execute on our acquisition and capital projects initiatives. And it would drop our senior debt to EBITDA ratio down to 2.1 to 1, and our total debt to EBITDA ratio down to 3.3 to 1. So again, uh, we continue to have a very strong balance sheet. Um, next slide, slide 17, just a couple of comments on convertible debentures. Again, our convertible debentures is an equity strategy for us. Um, you know, the concept that we're raising equity ultimately at a premium instead of a discount by just issuing shares directly. So correspondingly, our strategy is always to force conversion with our converts as soon as we can. You know, we've done nine debentures so far. Six of them have been fully converted. Three are still outstanding. And you can see the most that the next one that matures at the end of December 2023 is now well within, you know, our share price is well above the, the call price of $107.25. 
Um, unfortunately, until the end of this year, the conversion can't be forced unless the share price is 125% of that price. So, so we can't convert it as to the today, but again, as soon as we can, we will be forcing conversion of that convertible debenture as well. And then my final slide, slide 18 on our free cash flow. Uh, nice improvement in our free cash flow for the quarter, up $14.2 million to $203 million as compared to on a trailing 12-month basis as compared to 2020. And this is, again, despite COVID. Um, from a free cash flow per share basis, um, we are back at you know, our historic record of $5.08 per share. You know, the last couple of years, our free cash flow per share has been impacted by a couple of challenges. In 2019, it was the outbreak of African swine fever in China that disrupted global protein markets. And then 2020, it was COVID. And then as well, both years, there were some share equity issuances that uh, resulted in some short-term dilution until that capital was put to work. But with that capital being put to work now and, and the growth we continue to see in our business, we now expect to, to generate continued uh, record free cash flow per share amounts. Uh, our dividend for the quarter was 63.5 cents per share, which works out to an annual rate of $2.54 per share. That, that's up 10%, we a uh, 10% increase that we announced uh, during the quarter from our dividend rate in 2020. And that dividend resulted in a payout ratio based on a trailing 12-month basis of 48.3%, which is below our sort of general, general targeted range. As, as my final comment to the presentation, I would like to make aware to everyone who has not seen our AGM pre presentation then in it, we provide a detailed roadmap on how we expect to achieve our 2023 targeted sales and adjusted EBITDA of $6 billion and $600 million respectively. I encourage you to have a look at it. With that, I will now turn the presentation over to George. Thank you, Will. We're now on slide uh, 20 and uh, 21. Uh, Clearwater, uh, the Clearwater transaction in partnership with uh, Mi'kmaq First Nations was historic and transformational. As uh, Will explained, the transaction closed on January 25, 2021. The deal created a global top 20 seafood company and the only vertically integrated seafood platform in North America. PB Seafood Division also delivered record growth and record EBITDA during the first quarter, leveraging best-in-class products combined with favorable consumer trends and strong retail demand. Our ocean-to-plate branding initiatives are beginning to take shape in the North American marketplace, leveraging on-trend attributes like premium quality, transparency, innovation, social responsibility, and community engagement. We are now on slide 23 and uh, 24. Uh, we're making great progress in growing and in diversifying the sales of our U.S. protein platform. Its growth during the quarter was in the high teens. 
Its meat stick sales continue to ramp up and we're on target to exceed 100 million in meat stick sales in 2021. Uh, operational and business improvement initiatives are going very well, including investments in increasing capacity at our Hamper's facility, where we're commissioned, we've commissioned a 50,000 square foot expansion. Our authentic charcuterie sales under the Alberta's brand are going well, particularly in the C-Store segment where demand is projected to be particularly strong. And we're also in advanced discussions to acquire further capacity to support the growth of this exciting platform. We're now slide 25 and 26. Demand for uh, the products of our uh, sandwich division are very, is very strong with QSR channel returning to or exceeding pre-COVID levels. Continued investment in technology and automation initiatives with two generation three lines on order and the installation of a fully automated Panino line. Our investments in charcuterie and Panino tray assembly have been completed. We showed two videos yesterday at our AGM to demonstrate the reasons we're, we're so excited with our automation initiatives in sandwich and in Panino assembly. We have invested in capacity to produce uh, single serve meals and sales in this area are going well. Our plant-based breakfast sandwich sales are tracking to exceed 100 million this year. And finally, our sandwich division is projecting 2021 revenues to exceed 1 billion for the first time. We're now on slide 27. Um, as you could see, our acquisition pipeline remains very strong and we expect to complete several transactions during the remainder of the year. Slide 28. Um, our first comprehensive ESG report is due to come out in June of this year. We're committed to achieving carbon neutral neutrality and we'll be disclosing targets and objectives in our upcoming ESG report. I will now pass it back to Cheryl for the Q&A segment of the presentation. Cheryl? Thank you. If you would like to ask a question at this time, please press star 1 on your telephone handset. We'll pause briefly to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from John Zambaro. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning. I wanted to start on the cost inflation side. Uh, cost inflation side. How should we think about your ability to offset this? And um, I mean, if we look historically, you've been able to get one to two percent price increases, but it does seem as though, based on the charts you're showing, but also commentary we're seeing from across the space, that inflation could be materially higher this year. So, what's the the willingness and, and ability of, of your businesses to potentially pass through uh, much higher price increases? Yeah, again, I, I, it's a very good question, John. I, I think you have to remember that the majority of our business is uh, either cost plus. Um, for example, our um, entire sandwich platform is, is always been on a cost plus basis. 
and uh, and, not, and a lot of our business is uh, always passing on price increases and price decreases, particularly uh, on the distribution side, right? The pricing on the distribution side of our business is very, very dynamic. Um, in fact, uh, you know, as, as Will mentioned earlier, sometimes inflation um, uh, is, is beneficial because we're always holding very large uh, inventory positions in that area. So really the only part of our business that has some exposure to uh, inflation with regards to commodities is our protein group. But you have to remember that our protein group is really uh, the most premium products on the market and the products don't sell on price. You know, if you're out there as a consumer and you want to buy the lowest quality uh, out there and the low, at the lowest price, you don't buy premium brand products, right? So our consumers are very loyal. You know, we've passed on substantial increases to them in the past and, uh, you know, they, will, they continue to buy the product. So we feel very comfortable with the ability of the platform to handle uh, hyperinflation as we as we see right now. Yeah, and so John, you made the comment of one to two percent inflation. You know that that might uh, I'm, I'm not sure where that number comes from, but when you look at our protein group and you go back, for instance, to when we had the issues with ASF in 2019 or the the disruption back in 2014-15 with a uh, range of issues, they were double digit price increases they were putting in place over the course of the year. Got it. Thanks. Um, maybe we can move to the uh, the comment in the press release about global shipping networks and the disruptions you, you've seen there. Can you elaborate on exactly what the impact you're seeing uh, on that is and, and what you expect the rest of the year? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's well documented, uh, John. Uh, there is uh, a shortage of uh, containers around the world. Uh, I guess uh, world consumption has turned to goods and services as opposed to uh, to goods as opposed to services, and uh, you know there's a shortage of containers, so there there's a lot of delays. Uh, there's a lot of uh, unloading uh, type of delays uh, because of congestion in different ports, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Again, it's just another headache. Uh, as you know, we've had a lot of headaches to deal with um, over the last year, and uh, we're just mentioning it because um, again, it's out there, and uh, you know we'll manage through it. You know we've we've always uh, had uh, diversified. Uh, Supply chains and uh, and um, you know again it, it's it's another area uh, where we're we, we need to manage. Understood. Uh, and then last one for me on on the labor supply issue in the U.S. Uh, I think you said during the call that this this has been solved. Um, this is an issue we're hearing from most of the companies in the space. So uh, I guess how would you characterize um, your your level of confidence that? that this isn't going to limit sales increases in, in the rest of the year, or, or would you maybe see uh, higher wage inflation uh, that could, could impact margins rest of the year in the U.S.? Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, John, uh, the, the issue for us really is the demand side. As I mentioned in my prepared comments, there is tremendous demand, uh, particularly you know in the states where uh, things have opened up. We we are seeing unprecedented demand, uh, particularly in the QSR channel. So so again, the challenge for us is to uh, to um, hire more people, 
to be able to uh, keep up with, with the demand. And what we're saying is we're, we're going to grow. Um, we are going to uh, uh, see some of the benefits of that, but, you know, uh, unless in some cases we're, uh, we're able to find the labor, we're, we're going to uh, walk away from business and, or, or we're going to pass on some business. Right, so so really the focus here is not the labor shortage; it's really the robustness of the demand. Okay, that's great. Uh, I'll pass it on. Thank you very much. Thank you. And our next question comes from George Dumay. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, hi guys. Uh, Good morning, and I, I know this is there's a lot of moving parts to the um, to the inflation kind of debate. But can you maybe talk a little bit? Where, you know, looking at where input costs sit today, I think Will you mentioned kind of double-digit price increases uh, in the past. Um, we're more diversified uh, across different commodities, but can you maybe tell us a little bit about what you're thinking, thinking in terms of order of magnitude of, of those potential price increases that you're going to put through in Q2 and Q3? I think, uh, George, it, it varies, of course, by segment and by by commodity. And, and you know, again, George, I, we're going to put whatever price increases through uh, are necessary for us to maintain our our margins and to continue to run our business, right? And, and that's what we've always done. Um, again, I just want to remind you that our product differentiated. We're not a commodity player. Um, and uh, and um, you know we have demonstrated our ability to uh, to pass on these price increases in the past, and thankfully the consumer uh, continues to to buy our products. All right, we're we're more concerned about uh, velocity sometimes when we raise prices than anything else. But but again, uh, um, you know in the past we've been pleasantly surprised by the fact that uh, even with higher prices the uh, Consumer, uh, our, our loyal consumers continue to support our products. Okay, and, and given the magnitude, which looks to be pretty high, how confident are you that we'll get, we'll get to hold on to some of these prices um, when you know inflation abates in a year or two? You know, I, you know, again, George, it, it's not about holding on to those. It's it's really about uh, passing on uh, the cost today. Uh, you know, I think that. Uh, a lot of times, if uh, raw materials come down, we'll, we'll invest in promotions and those type of things so that we can uh, find new markets and uh, uh, provide new volumes and new, new opportunities for our products, right? But, but, uh, but again, it's, it's just, you know, I need, the issue for us is to maintain our margins at fair levels rather than to um, gouge the market, let's say, when, when uh, commodities come down. Okay. Um, on, on the Clearwater, uh, substantial improvement in gross margins. I think you guys, looks like it's about 940 basis points. I'm just wondering how much of that is truly due to the uh, PB ecosystem synergy and, and can maybe quantify that for us? And also looking at, you know, for this year and next, can you maybe call out what those PB ecosystem synergies could, could be or could look like or what they are? Yeah, George. I, you know, I, I think that they, we're not in a position to do that at, at this point, George. But, but my comments would be that, you know, commodity uh, companies are never good uh, 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 public companies. You, you know, it, it's very tough to be a commodity company in the public markets. And, and I, you know, I think that Clearwater 
uh, is a very, very well-managed well company, uh, tremendous uh, assets, uh, great quality assets, tremendous access to great resources, and, and there's no doubt in our, in our mind that this company will be a stronger seller um, um, and will exercise better price realization given the uniqueness of, of its products. And, uh, you know, I think that a lot of the benefits you're seeing are because you know, Clearwater is not a publicly traded company. It's not doesn't have to report uh, an increase in sales every every quarter, right? right? So, plus again, the the benefits of uh, of uh, Intel from the front lines, which uh, which Clearwater uh, is getting, are, are incredibly beneficial to to them. And I, I would also like to say that um, you know, there's a halo effect. You know, Clearwater is a great company, a great brand. Uh, a great global reputation, and they brought a, a they brought a halo effect effect to our uh, PBC food uh, business as well. And and again, part of the reason why the PBC food division had a uh, uh, you know uh, a record quarter. Um, so uh, early stages, the markets have gone with uh, with us, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, you know the uh, you know this. Great, great demand in in uh, in China in the U.S. as the their economies uh, open up, and you know Clearwater of of course will benefit from some of the commodity inflation that you and John mentioned earlier, right? So even Clearwater provides a a nice hedge for us uh, when uh, protein costs mm-hmm. appear to be uh, inflationary. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. Just one one more, if I may, maybe maybe for Will. Uh, I know in the past you guys have done a few ad hoc kind of sales and leaseback transactions. Um, it, it seems like we, we got a nice uh, capital unlock here. Is this something that we're going to be doing more and more of, or, or is this, should we just treat this as a one-off? Well, it, it's a tool we quite often use with acquisitions when the you know the owner of the business has a piece of real estate that you know they bought way back when they founded the business. And you know, there's a tremendous amount of value tied up in the real estate. So it, it's it's a nice way for us to unlock that value while continuing to control the real estate. So you know, the, these pieces of property were all related to our Confed acquisition that we announced in the quarter as well. So generally, it's around that. You know, it, it's very rare. It's occasional, but rare that we'll take sort of legacy assets and roll them into the REIT. But having said that, here and there, that does happen. Okay. Thanks for answering, guys. Good luck. Thanks, George. Thanks, George. Thank you. And our next question comes from Martin Landry. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning, George and Will. Um, Good morning. My my first question is on um, you know on on your your comments on April being a, a record month for you. Um, I would love to, you know, get some color as to what the breakdown uh, in terms of sales growth between Canada and U.S. I would assume that the U.S. has seen, you know, a, a, you know, really good growth, and Canada is probably more muted uh, given the lockdown measures in Ontario. So I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more on, on on that front, if you can. Yeah, I think you've you've certainly captured it, uh, Martin. I, you know, we've talked a lot about our. Our Sandwich Group, of course, our, our uh, protein platform, um, 
uh, in the U.S. and and uh, and uh, our, our seafood platform in the U.S. and and you know a number of states uh, have opened up their economies and and uh, you know all, all I could say is that we're just seeing amazing demand um, in those areas and uh, you know to the point as I said earlier where you know given some of the logistical challenges um, um, we are you know we have to um, you know walk away from business but. But again, or opportunities. But but again, a lot of growth, or or you know, the, the the great majority of the growth for us is coming out of the U.S. You know, again, Canada, uh, uh, fine, we're doing well. Um, as Will said, we were getting good traction in food service in the early part of the quarter, and then uh, you know, with the lockdowns in March, uh, of course, things uh, slowed down. And uh, I mean, I, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Yeah, and maybe that's a good segue into my next question uh, on on capacity utilization. Um, can can you talk to us about um, you know which platforms uh, are you uh, tight on on capacity right now? I, I would assume the sandwich platform is probably one of them, and and maybe talk about you know what kind of uh, capacity expansion is coming up uh, near term to um, to alleviate that. Yeah, so, you know, we, we have announced several projects over the last couple of quarters, um, you know, across various platforms, our, you know, our sandwich group. We just announced the, the Buddies initiative as well as the Gen 3 lines last quarter. So, you know, investing in capacity in the sandwich group, the protein group, similarly in meat snacks, we announced the investments at, at, at Alberto's and in Hempler's. So those are two key areas we're investing in. Uh, dry cured is another area where we're doing the Brantford expansion with pillars. Um, so you know, it, it essentially goes across all our key categories. Um, seafood, uh, you know, nothing major planned right now, but um, you know, we continue to invest in the infrastructure to support the distribution. But you know, that that infrastructure is one of the things that a lot of capacity was freed up with the demand destruction in food service. And then the the, the last major area, um, artisan breads. Um, we're investing in our new Strivers facility. We announced that a couple of quarters ago, and uh, that that you know that business is. Um, Again, a, a U.S. expansion story, tremendous opportunities down there and uh, lacking the capacity to execute on them. So it really, you know, there's projects across all the major categories pretty well, Martin. Okay, and is it possible to perhaps quantify, you know, how much uh, sales these uh, expansion projects could support uh, once fully ramped up? Uh, yeah, I, I don't have that number. You know, that's part of what we built into our five-year model and supporting that growth. Um, you know, it, it varies, you know, um, quite significantly from project to project. But it, it's certainly in the, you know, 200 to $300 million range when you add up all the projects as a minimum. Yeah, the one, one comment on that, uh, Martin, is that uh, in the past uh, we've also uh, leveraged uh, co-packer capacity to support our growth, right? That's always been a part of our uh, playbook. And, um, you know, again, not all of our products are made by our uh, companies, right? And, for example, now we are in the process of, of working with uh, a few co-packers to, to support our growth. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. 
Thank you, Martin. Thanks, Martin. Thank you. Our next question comes from David Newman. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Good morning, gentlemen. Great set of results, and in, uh, including uh, Clearwater out of the chute. Uh, not to beat a dead horse, but on, on the on the commodity inflation, I'm very confident you guys can get it through. You have done it in the past. Um, obviously, you can get it through. But is there any short sort of short-term timing difference here in terms of 30, 90-day lag in, in, in retail? in the protein, and should we be cautious about the second quarter margins on that front until you can get it through and cover the nut? Or do you have enough inventory or forward buy positions that you can leverage in the inflationary environment? Yeah, the, you know, we do have some inventory positions to carry us through and, and help mitigate. So really, David, it's one of tracking what happens in the market. Um, you know, if 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 prices continue or costs continue to accelerate like they have, then certainly they'll, they'll you know, that the inventory is only going to take us so far, our forward buys are only going to take us so far, and, and there will be some margin pressure but um, in the short term. But uh, again, it, it's going to be a function of what happens, you know, over the next two months. Anything yeah, the, near the other, the other, Go ahead, George. Yeah, the, the other comment I'll make, uh, David, is uh, you, you shouldn't make the assumption that all of our commodities are bought always at market prices, right? There's, there's cases where, you know, we, we've entered into long-term commitments with, with our suppliers and, 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 uh, and on, on based on fixed uh, pricing, et cetera, et cetera, right? right? So that's just, 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 just a comment. Okay. Well, hopefully they hedged it. <laughs> um, I guess the second thing is um, you've done a great job of, of you know keeping your doors open, keeping your customers happy, and you made a comment that um, you're seeing some opportunities arise out of that in terms of being a, a, a good supplier to some of your key customers. You know, is there? Can you kind of point to a few things that you that you're really seeing where that's really kind of gaining traction? Yeah, I think we've mentioned it earlier, um, um, David, um, and, and again, it, it, you know, particularly in, with respect to our U.S. platforms, the, the demand with respect to all of our uh, U.S. platforms is, uh, is unprecedented because um, our, our, uh, you know, our three platforms in the U.S. have done an incredible job with regards to uh, business continuity and uh, and uh, uh, providing uh, uh, steady uh, supply chains to their customers. Um, you know, I, I can tell you unequivocally that uh, uh, demand and opportunities in the U.S. are are not lacking in any way. Uh, um, you know, so so the issues for us, of course, is to figure out the uh, the uh, you know the labor situation and, and some of the logistical issues we've talked about, but. But this is the, the U.S. platform's growth is a very good example of what you just said and how we are benefiting from the fact that we've uh, we've had very good execution in those platforms. Okay, and then the last one, the, sort of the, how the quarters shake out here in terms of the cadence of of improvement um, coming out of COVID. As an example, obviously travel demand we're seeing. I think some of the cruise lines are sold out into in the fall. Uh, we're seeing a resurgence in you know, bookings, et cetera. So that's one area where you kind of got hit uh, coming in, not only just full-service restaurants, but obviously airlines, cruise lines, all, all that area. So do you think there's a possibility coming out of this that you could over-index 
versus more normalized conditions as people are, you know, caged animals. They want to get out and, 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 and go, go south or go on a tour or go on a cruise line or whatever. Uh, do you think there's a possibility we could actually over-index? Um, yeah, you know, our general expectations are for, you know, I, again, based on what we've seen happening in the U.S., David, and in China, and that little glimpse we saw at the beginning of the first quarter, you know, we are bullish that once things open up, there is going to be that surge. And, uh, you know, our biggest food service exposure today that has yet to normalize from COVID is in Canada. So that, that's going to be a big factor in the turnaround that. You know, getting into some of the specifics though, you know, cruise lines, you know, we're, we're slightly bullish that, yeah, we'll see some pickup towards the end of the year. Uh, but again, you know, there's a lot of risk there and, and what happens is going to be really a function of international markets. Airlines were fairly bearish, you know, although I think you're going to see much more travel. Um, we're, we're, we're not quite sure how the food element is going to work at this point, so we're being conservative there in our outlooks. And then food service, absolutely, when it comes back, it'll come back with a vengeance, but the question is when does that happen? Um, and, and, and I guess the only bearish comment on the food service segment is, you know, a big driver, and you saw this, there was that earlier chart in my presentation on the COVID impact by quarter, and you saw a, a bigger impact in the fourth quarter and a lot of that is because of all the event type business that happens towards the the last part of the year, mm -hmm. and um, you know that's a large gatherings of people, and you know the, there's you know tremendous uncertainty how that's going to unfold for this year. So that that's probably the only bearish element in there. Okay, if I just squeeze one one minor qu sub question to that one, are you seeing the potential for staycations this summer? Um, as people really make travel plans to hit the road uh, in terms of meat snacks and sandwiches and things like that, do you think that's really going to resonate this summer? Uh, well, I, I think that, uh, and again, it, it, we have to be careful whether we're talking about Canada and the U.S., right? The U.S. US is um, in opening up, uh, you know, nicely, and, uh, you know, we are expecting unprecedented demand in, uh, C-Store and QSR, uh, David, we're already seeing it. Um, and, and, you know, as I, as, I, as I said earlier, our issue is not uh, demand, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I think a lot of people will still take driving holidays as opposed to flying holidays, um, you know. So, again, we're expecting substantial demand in those, in those two channels. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Very helpful. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. Thank you. And our next question comes from Michelle Sridhar. Go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks for taking my questions. Um, so I, I understand the commentary that um, PBH is seeing uh, substantial demand uh, for its products, which is nice to hear. Um, I want to focus in a little bit on the, uh, the, uh, the meat stick category, uh, you, you know, which is a, a focus category that management uh, indicated uh, that there was a lot of uh, opportunity in and, and one of the, the lines was that there was opportunity to grow market share for for the meat stick brands uh, uh, because of the quality and, and uh, success in other markets. Wondering how the market share is doing uh, in that particular category. Are you seeing expansion there? 
Yeah, I think we have to be careful um, when we talk about the myth, the meat stick category, right? Right, because again, you know, we're the lead uh, meat stick company in in Canada by far, but I'm not sure we've ever taken taken anybody's market share. We we've simply found white space. Uh, we felt strongly when we acquired Obertos that the meat stick category was very underdeveloped uh, in the U.S., mainly because the, the main brands of meat sticks were very low quality. So, so again, we've launched a lot of very high-end premium products, just like in Canada, and we're gaining great traction with regards to those products because those products are finding that white space, right? So it's not about uh, taking somebody's market share, it's, it's opening up uh, new markets for a product. The premium brand never, never looks at the market in terms of going after somebody's market share. That is a silly equation, right? We try to find new opportunities and new white space for a certain product. When you look at our cooked products in the U.S., for example, our, our um, um, cooked skewer products, uh, that is a substantial category, and, and that was a, a completely new space. We never took anybody's market share in that space. It's, it's a well over $100 million category for us, maybe close to $200 million. But, but again, that is the PB approach, right? 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 It's not about market share. Thanks for that color. And just switching gears here, you talked about the traction in the uh, in the sandwich um, sandwich platform with management's targeting um, a billion dollars, or I don't know if you said greater than a billion or a billion dollars uh, this year for for sales, which uh, which is uh, you know impressive given the challenges with COVID. Just wondering. Um, what is the runway for that platform? I mean, this is a fairly sizable growth over the years, and I'm wondering how, when you look out several years, are you seeing substantial demand for that product continuing, and could this business double again? Yeah, you know, again, we refer to it, of course, as, as, as the sandwich division, but it's, it's really an assembly business, right? And, uh, you know, it's a sandwich business has grown uh, well over 20% of her uh, 10 years, but you know now they're you know in charcuterie assembly and the charcuterie uh, uh, category is growing uh, uh, you know nice you know nice it's one of the fastest growth uh, categories uh, in uh, in retail today and 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 you know they're getting into uh, panino assembly which is a healthier type of uh, meat snacks and uh, and uh, you know, uh, single-serve meals, which we, we think is a high-growth category. If you look at the growth of the category in Europe, for example, uh, you know, anyway, so it goes back to my comment with regards to finding white space and, and, and trying to create markets, not trying to steal somebody's market, right? So they're, they're you know, again, they're diversifying their assembly capabilities uh, very nicely. They have a lot of... Uh, uh, um, they're getting a lot of traction uh, in uh, in uh, in, are in areas that I wouldn't call uh, sandwiches, and uh, and uh, again, we're really really excited by the uh, growth growth prospects of uh, of uh, some of these new uh, uh, SKUs that they're in. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, 
Thank you for the color. Thank you. And our next question comes from Derek Lassard. Please go ahead. Your line is opened. Yeah, good morning, or sorry, good afternoon, everybody. Um, I just wanted to take the Clearwater integration maybe a, a step uh, further. Uh, could you talk about um, the integration of the, the, the lobster business uh, with Clearwater and, and, and Ready Seafood and maybe some of the wins and opportunities that you're seeing there? Yeah, you know, I would say that the word, uh, uh, Derek, is not integration, it's coordination. You, you know, the the uh, the management teams of, of uh, both uh, companies are working extremely closely uh, on supply chain type of uh, synergies uh, uh, and also on, on marketing and sale uh, synergies as well. And, and really it relates to um, price realization opportunities more than more than anything, and uh, again, we're really pleased with the way the the uh, two management teams are working together. And uh, as you know, uh, lobster is a big segment for us. Um, um, you know, we're uh, working uh, on on several uh, value-added type of uh, of initiatives with regards to lobster. You know, Clearwater um, was was never focused on the value-added part of the. Uh, the business, and uh, again, all I could say is that we're extremely pleased with the uh, coordination type of activities between the the two the two companies. Great, great management teams, great initiatives, great coordination. Okay, thanks for that. And uh, my last one is, I, I guess I'm wondering where you are in in the the automation of the sandwich plants, and if you know you're expecting that to maybe perhaps alleviate some of the labor pressures you're seeing there. Yeah, uh, Derek, I don't know if you saw the uh, AGM presentation yesterday, but we actually showed uh, videos of our Generation 3 lines that we're installing. And it's it's very exciting. It's uh, uh, this complete automation, the use of uh, uh, eye technology with uh, robotics. And um, anyway, uh, yeah, we're, yeah, it, it'll give us, it'll give us uh, more uh, capacity um, and also they'll be uh, a lot more efficient. Okay. Thanks, George. Yeah, thanks, Derek. Thank you. And our next question comes from Stephen McLeod. Please go ahead. Your line is opened. Uh, thank you. Good afternoon, guys. Hey, hi, Steve. Hi. Um, lots, of, uh, lots of great colors so far, um, but I just wanted to circle around on two things. One was, uh, you know, you mentioned that in Canada particularly, you saw uh, you were off to a great start in Q1 before the shutdowns hit. And I'm just curious if you can give a little bit of color on what growth rates looked like before things began to slow down in Ontario and other markets in Canada. Yeah, we, we don't have a specific growth rate to, to discuss, Steve. You know, what we did see was a good sort of week-to-week -week improvement, um, but, uh, not you know, we never came to the point of actually coming to a full sort of normalization of a growth rate. You know, again, uh, you know, you know, again, uh, Steve, the, the, you know, in, in, in general terms, if, if lockdowns are announced, which impact restaurants, we get, <laughs> we get impacted, right? And, and that, that's generally in our uh, distribution group. But, but, you know, again, we, we March was a, 
the lockdown month again in in uh, in, in many parts of Canada, BC, Alberta, uh, Ontario, and Quebec mainly, and uh, and uh, you know our, our our sales to that segment were were impacted materially. Okay, okay, yeah, that that makes sense. Um, and then I just wanted to uh, uh, you know make sure I'm 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 uh, or see if you had any color incremental color around kind of the cadence for sales growth um, through the year. Uh, you know, I mean, I think I, I would expect to see maybe that the top line based on the demand trends you're talking about accelerating Q3 or Q2, sorry, um, Q3, you'd probably begin to see minimal COVID impacts on a year over year basis. And then do you expect to be in a more normalized environment by the time you get to Q4? Uh, you know, Steve, that, that's the very reason we're not giving any guidance for the year at this point is it, it all depends on how COVID rolls out. Um, so you make a couple of key COVID assumptions and, and you change those and our outlook will change. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's going to be so much a function of how the economy opens up and, and particularly with food service in Canada. And, and, and Stephen, you, 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 saw, you saw the April numbers, right? Uh, we've disclosed the April numbers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and again, you can sort of uh, deduce that... Uh, we're still in lockdowns in Canada, and we've been impacted greatly in the distribution group. But that was by far the best April on record, you know, followed by a very challenging April, obviously last year. Um, so, so that just shows you the robustness of the demand in markets where things are opening up, obviously in the U.S. Right, so if you, if we make us the the same assumptions with regards to when Canada is going to open up, then uh, you know again uh, all bets are off, and uh, you know we're we're going to see substantial demand. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, that's great. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from Sabah Khan. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Great. Thanks very much. Um, just, I guess, on the following up on the commentary from the last question, I guess in terms of the uncertainty looking ahead, are you seeing or is are you more concerned about the food retail or the specialty foods channel or is it more premium food distribution or just trying to understand, you know, based on the conversations you're having with your customers, you know, which areas may be, you know, more uncertain as you look to the back half of this year and into next year? Sorry, sorry, uh, Saba, can you repeat the last part of that? You cut out on us. Yep. Uh, just on the, in terms of the outlook, obviously you're not providing outlook just given the operating backdrop, but based on the conversations you're having with your customers, you know, what is more of an uncertain area for you? Is it the premium food distribution side or is it the specialty food side? Where does it, you know, where, where are you less certain on the outlook? Oh, yeah, no. Uh, certainly, you know, <laughs> In the specialty food side, you know, the, the key area being impacted is really the airline business. There's a little bit of food service exposure there, but it's the airline business. And, you know, we, like I mentioned earlier, we're pretty bearish on that. We don't hold, you know, you know it's probably the impact's going to be relatively consistent for the rest of the year. Um, so it's, it's more in the premium food distribution side, um, where that's where the heavy, heavy food service exposure is. Um, the food service in the specialty food side tends to be in the QSR segment, and as George has talked about, 
you know, we've seen a significant rebound there already, um, both at towards the end of 2020 and, and certainly in 2021. So it, it, it most certainly is the premium food distribution group. And then just in terms of the cruise and airline stuff, is the airline exposure really sort of a sandwich exposure uh, you quite a few years ago, or has that been, or is there more uh, business lines that are exposed to that side of the business? It's primarily our sandwich group. Okay. And then um, I guess just looking ahead into kind of 2022 and onwards, you know, there's a little bit of tailwind, obviously, for food retail as an industry through COVID. You know, how are you thinking about that as you go into 2022? You know, do you have enough initiatives or other programs in place to sort of start to comp against those strong numbers that, you know, the industry benefited from over the recent years? Or based on what you're seeing now, is that demand, you think, going to be more sustained uh, as you move forward, even as uh, kind of the economy reopens? Yeah, we, again, when you sort of look back, I mean, we've never really had the you know, access to the labor or the uh, a lot of capacity to take advantage of opportunities. There were a lot of opportunities, obviously, to sell through to these channels during the pandemic. But, but really, um, uh, you know, we were more focused on uh, business continuity and obviously making sure that we didn't overstress our workforce, right? So, so again, we did fine in those channels, of course, but but you know I wouldn't say we took full advantage of the opportunities, mainly because of some of the other challenges. So so we're expecting a return to normality of uh, of lifestyles. The question is when, of course, as, as Will said. And uh, again, I you know I wouldn't say that we benefited immensely from the fact that uh, that demand in club and retail was so strong. Yeah, we're, we're, we're hoping too, Sabah, that there is some sort of longer-term sustainable benefit is our premium food distribution group, um, you know, the food service businesses in that group, you know, we've got a slide in our AGM presentation that talks about how they performed relative to some of the other peers in their, their segment of the, the food industry. And, and they've done an amazing a job of developing new sales channels, particularly in retail, new relationships. So we really are, you know, bullish that there are some good sustainable opportunities in that channel. So when the food service comes back, you should see some really good solid growth if they can maintain those sales as well as then get back their food service. And then, you know, the one thing that's been lacking in all the growth numbers we've been talking about is, you know, food service in Canada was a key growth market for us. You know, we made major investments in Quebec and Ontario in growing our sales in those segments. And none of that growth is built into the organic normalized growth rates we've been talking about. So, uh, yeah, you could see some really strong numbers from Premium Foods Group once everything comes back. Okay, and then you know, if you think about the sandwich business, you know, the target that you're laying out or the outlook for a billion dollars of sales, can you maybe help us think through the composition of that billion dollars? You know, many, many years ago, it was primarily one customer. You've gone into other channels. Can you maybe give us some context on you know, whether it's mass or C stores, how big a portion of your sandwich business those new channels could be in a few years? Yeah, you know, it, it's exciting the, uh, what's happening in our sandwich group. Uh, there's so many growth 
growth initiatives within that group. Um, you're, you're right, you know, they, they sort of built their business around a core customer. Um, but I can tell you that they had amazing growth in C-Store this quarter, in retail, both mass and, and general grocery. Uh, like George talked about earlier, they're getting into other types of assembled products like charcuterie, which has been a big growth driver. Also, their assembled meals is is another growth driver for them. There, there's just so many areas they're expanding, and and you're seeing that. You know that that major customer is is, is becoming a a much less significant overall customer to their their platform. Okay, and then just one last one for me. I guess there was one C-Store customer you were doing some trials with, and that was picking up. You know, I guess through the pandemic, presumably that program got put on hold or slowed down. Um, is that, you know, is that something that's picking back up, or, you know, is that you know, we're just going to update on where that program is at this point? Um, all, all I'll say again is that um, uh, you know, C-Store uh, will will see uh, tremendous growth for us. Uh, uh, this this year, um, we are, uh, as Will said, we're getting excellent traction in in both our uh, sandwich and our uh, uh, protein division in the U.S. in the C-Store channel, um, and uh, you know we're really excited by that. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks. Thank Emma. you. And this concludes our question and answer session. I'll now turn the call back to George Paleologo for closing remarks. Thank you, everybody. I'd like to uh, thank you for attending today and um, have a great summer. Thank you for joining us today. This concludes our call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.